0: Hi, Hi. Uh, I'm Alexis Hyde. I'm Erica Wong and welcome back to Hide or Practice. This week we have Christina Hirukawa here thank you for joining us. Absolutely. So how about, because you're best at talking about yourself, What uh, give our people the elevator pitch rundown. Who are you? What do you do?
1: Sure. So my name is Christina. I am a certified art appraiser. I do have a public art and private collections art consulting practice, and I've been an appraiser for about 10 years now. Um, I also am a venture capitalist. I deploy both capital on behalf of family offices and and venture funds as well as my own independent funds as an angel investor so I ride the line and what is probably easiest or easier to understand is um, alternative assets um, but beginning in the art world and then bleeding into entrepreneurial pursuits of different types of ventures but those ventures in my in my short term of doing that over the last five six years have never actually touched the art world so they're they're different but they're somewhere
0: interesting so wait how do you mean that they've never touched the art world
1: so often I get a lot of requests about you know the next artsy or battle <laughs> um and I actually have declined investing in any specifically art-centric solution um so a lot of people ask about that as kind of like the first off the bat question especially when we're talking about like a cultural conversation they're like oh naturally would you have like invest in the solutions the art world needs I actually veered away from that because I think that it, it has not been solved to date doesn't mean it's not going to be solved but the people interested in solving art problems are generally people that are from venture backgrounds which is
0: not a good mix. fair yeah. fair that's really fair I'm just like I'm like feeling very validated over here because these are kind of things that like in private conversations I've, I've like rallied against and, like people like this, like what do they think they're solving with this platform that they're coming up with? What's the new thing? What's their, what's this angle? And it's, it's usually not, you know, it's
1: a capital angle, you know, yeah. they're like this is an untapped unsolved market, which is an in, in archaic. And I'm like, it's obviously true, but it's also, it's making a lot of, money for a number of people. So why would they want it to be solved, especially when it's such a closed door like process? And then on top of that, I always think to myself, if you know it's closed door and you're not part of that community, why would you be able to solve a problem that you don't fully know about? Thank you. So it's yeah, it's an interesting one. The art world is one of those places that, you know, there's different reasons and ways that people operate, but trying to find like a catch all solution is not works because like all of those companies that I've mentioned have been refinanced multiple times because it's just like, people don't need some kind of technology solution to buy art. That's not the problem of like the barriers between a buyer and an artist. There are many barriers, but that just trying to create a platform where people can view art. We all know people under 30, most people under 30 or even under 40 are not buying art. Why is that?
0: Yeah. Well, that goes back to like what we were talking about with Sue a couple of weeks ago about, you know, that becomes like arts education and like what, like we're raised to like value and invest our money because a lot of those people that are 30 and 40 are still spending quite a bit of money on purses, clothes, parents, Amazon. Amazon. I don't want to talk about it. You know, why would you come at me like that? We just met. Um, but <laughs> we have to be real.
1: It's Sunday. It's Labor Day. they are all stopping. <laughs> The big discount right now.
0: But the um but it is, it's interesting. I was talking with an artist once where it's just like, you know, people think that art has to be this, you know, huge commitment, but then I see what they spend, you know, my friends spend on purses that they just change out, you know, seasonally. And it's like, why can't, you know, art be the same? And they can get something just the same price. You know, we're not even talking about like the big prices, although we can't yeah. scale up that way and if we want to.
1: Yeah. And I think one of the questions is just like what value do these young, these young or like early stage collectors see art playing in their lives? Mm-hmm. And I think there's four components to individuals that the one of those four buckets or all four are missing for people to understand to invest into something like that. And I think one of the big ones that people don't talk about is like physical fitness and like well-being. Um, I think people can't dare stand or like engage with a static object the same way they could maybe even 20 years ago um and obviously education is a big component of it three people really want products and items that have mobility with them so they can create like you said like a performative environment like purses matter because versus where your wallet is. Wallet is with you all the time with your phone and people see you with that item and therefore the performance of whatever you want to be conveyed is there and art doesn't do that. And then the fourth is individual opinion. People have a really hard time, even like high net worth clients, understanding that they need to take a position on something. Like in order to make great collections, often art, art that's that's incredible, that's groundbreaking, that's innovative, and will have a great financial return is somewhat risky, but also it it has a, a personal statement, unlike a venture that you can invest in quietly where no one knows really unless you want to talk about it. Usually if you buy artwork, it's on your wall and you have to defend it and people have a really hard time going against the grain and also just like making a choice, um, which is interesting to me because just means that we're not really working on our a true understanding of of a, a stance or a, a perspective that doesn't just have a polarity to it, people will be trump, not trump, but people don't know why they would buy this painting yep. and they don't want to work on the skill to learn how to do that so it becomes a very difficult process, and personally, I didn't want to stay in private art consulting after a period of time because. After like the fun aspects of going to fairs with people and spending capital is over, what you find is that people come to you for the same thing over and over again. And it's like the most boring job after a while. And I'm sorry. Yes. You know, if I, there are other people that are different consultants that have different opportunities. I'm sure everyone has different client lists, but if you have a non-mature collector, they often have not some kind of injection of capital let's just say and they didn't grow up with collecting they all want to buy the same things that everyone else around them has bought and it's like cause Murakami, you want anish kapoor it like depends on where you are who your friends are but it's always the same thing and it's if you're I running i wish you up guys could against- see
0: erica's smile right now it's so good sorry keep going it's just like she's just like <laughs> this knowing smile it's just like it's just it's haunting me and i love it but you're right, no, yeah, like, yeah, Jonas Wood here, Ed Ruscha here, and in New York it's, you know, Dan Colin, yeah. maybe. It's, yeah. It's, yeah,
1: and it's like, you get the same request and you're like, you could just email that blue chip gallery. First of all, you have, like, Wikipedia recognition, so if they look you up, they'll know that you're, like, a serious player in whatever X field you're in. Why do you need me to be billed to help you facilitate that at this point? Like, You already know, no matter what else I bring you, what else is more interesting, what else is more thought-provoking, you're uncomfortable because Max and Sam and your friends in investment banking all have a cause. So you need one that's at least six feet high and can stand in your corner there. And I'm like, you don't need a facilitator for that. You have already determined what is, is social value to you. It's no longer about the cultural practice of collecting.
0: Yeah, you're talking about wealth, wealth signals.
1: Yeah, and it's very boring. So it just becomes disheartening because you get these degrees, you want to be a person that people talk to. You know, I used to, for my clients, do all these reports being like, these are some like, I try to like drive it as like a portfolio so people would be like, you know, like high risk, high reward, mixing with like mid and then like some like just like long standing things to purchase. And all it became was like four years later, I'm like, told you so, like highlight these ones. You could have made so much money and also been part of a great career, but you just decided to sit on this thing that we're just like.
0: All the told you so's. It's also funny because I've tried it. I've been trying to frame. I'm, a, I'm an art consultant too. Um, And I will say, I'm gonna like, write thank you notes to my clients because most of them are much more exciting. I'm not buying any Jonas Woods. It's very, it's very rewarding, but. Um, but there's still those people where I'm just like, I told you, I told you about this thing and you didn't, you know, and you're also always asking me who's going to be the one who's going to hit and I bring them to you. And then you're like, Hmm, I don't like it. And then later they hit and you're like, well, why didn't I know? And I'm like, you did. I can go find like, an email. Sorry, here's
1: the receipts. Yeah, I read exactly. all of
0: the receipts now because I'm just like, I, I sent, this to, I sent yes. this to you. I sent this to you. Like, I don't want to talk about the Milwaukee Guwafo that I had offered to me for $4,000. I should have bought it. And I didn't. And I'm mad about that too. But it is. Okay, so,
2: so then yeah. um, in this investment point of view and, like, the asset point of view, if we want to go and talk about it on, from the other perspective as an artist, if I want to be seen or recognized by somebody like you what should I do? Because if everyone just wants the Murakami, they want the cause, they want the Jonas Woods, how am I ever going to break into the conversation if they, you know, even if you make your charts and you have your quadrants and say that this is going to happen in X time and people just, they're not wanting to wait X time. So then X time comes and like the artist is just like, what, what were they supposed to do during that X time? They're just sort of eating beans, like hoping for the best
1: yeah so i think as consultants we need to find more creative solutions and creative solutions is one where you like the type of clients i'm talking about and like the big difference probably between our consulting practices like i'm known as like the person you come to when you like want to make cash in your art right or like hold your capital like that's basically like what people come to me about if you're an artist and you want to be you want to be taken seriously. I mean, I think like the the number one thing is just like you need to be written about, you know, like we need to be able to accept you. Like you need to be at a like, specific type of like mid-tier emerging gallery space. And, there, and it is, is regional to some degree. But as a consultant on the other side, like I can take more risks in public art consulting than I can in private commissions a lot of the time. And it's because the capital is a line of credit that line of credit is something that must be deployed, like that finite amount of money. Um, and I can convince them because I will work with them on multiple projects that like we should be able to turn this plaza into a piazza through some kind of weird, like conceptual work. And they're like, okay, like we have like a four year gestation, it's a seven figure amount, like, and I have to deploy it It's Like, let's make it something interesting. Like you can get to that point with those collectors, in, in my experience, much quicker. And as an artist, I think people's biggest problem is they do not communicate consistently what they're investigating and why they're looking at something. It's really hard for me, especially like with the inundation of some of the material that I get, for me to ha- try and problem solve that for you, you know, like if you, you know, I get a lot of introductions specifically through people whose collections I, I really admire. So I'll tell them a problem I'm trying to solve. So I've got a collector who's looking to diversify their, por- their portfolio through mo- a more inclusive collecting practice that they had prior to, to working with me. Let's say hypothetically, it's the true story. And I, I really want to engage in these areas, you know, it's a big bucket areas. Like they're looking at like their own formative dance background as part of like the collecting practice that they want to now explore you know i will talk to other collectors that have potentially a stronger thesis in those areas and, and look at people that they're looking at as well that it's i think for an artist you really want to find a couple of people that really want to solve or include the problem you're looking at in their collection because they will be a really good gateway point for you um, and also communicate that really well publicly like what are you what are key areas or key thoughts that you're thinking about that you want to to look at and you want people to know that you are looking at it's hard especially if you have a wide swath of a practice for someone to just like pick those things up for you when you have many portfolios you need to take a look at for a specific thing it's I I think it's going to be even harder without having access to actually like going to galleries and seeing work i am a very like in-person visual person so it's really hard for me especially when artists make their own websites because there's i don't know how you guys feel about them they're like so <laughs> weird i'm like there's a cv and this bio that has all to do with like where you grew up which i don't really don't care about to be no. completely honest there's no artist statement that's really relevant to this like new body of work that is now like creeped up on here and like your instagram was like cool and like artist's So it's like not really anything to do with your work or practice because you're like a totally normal person. So I'm like, unless I like decide to spend the time to get on a studio visit, which I will try and do, but I can maybe do a maximum of six or so, or maybe even 10 a month. Just with the things that I'm doing that, you know, like, why should I invest that time? That why is not that like clear. You're not getting to a yes or a no quickly which is something I really learned in adventure. It's like your pitch deck and your pitch is everything It's a yes or a no. You don't need a maybe you just need someone to say it was no for me right now. I'm going to put this one on the back burner because I think her work in a couple of years might mature into something I'm really interested. In. I'll make a couple of intros for her. And then these are yeses because like, this is what I'm looking for. Artists don't facilitate that. And I think that's something we lack in education
2: agreed i would also like to go and say that it might sound like christina is just talking about again like the money side of things and how investment works but i would like to stress that actually she is a trained artist she has a bfa she did painting and then she went and did art history for her masters so she actually does know that problem of what it's like to be an artist trying to break into the industry so it's not fully she's looking from just the the money side of things she's not me yeah
0: (laughs) or i'm just the asshole i'm just the money side of
1: things i just want to make sure people like don't waste their time because i think artists i mean just when you're in art school you're like you really want to be a part of some kind of gallery and like doesn't even make sense like like as a thesis for us let's say it's a small it's not a blue chip you're not crazy you're like still in art school and you want to be part of that are you in conversation with those things like great galleries have a conversation between artists like they're not like just like one like random artist in this space and it's like those questions that I'm talking about yes or no yeah it's like a it's, it's a super investment like heavy like perspective but it's also your investment into time as an artist like you have this much window, you're probably doing some kind of work on top of your practice at first. And then you have this tiny window into into sharing your work. And I have a great example and I like don't want to share her name. Uh she's an artist that was working in the in New York. Susie Q then.
2: Susie Q. Susie Q is who yeah, yeah. That's right. Susie Q. So Susie Q Sometimes.
1: was sharing a studio with someone who then jumped up and then ended up a la a- like institutional collector jam session gallery representation. So her, her friend ended up in that space. Right. And Susie Q was still like trying to break in. She had a couple of really good shows. And I think her work is really interesting, but when I met up with her, just to, like hear more about her practice. Like maybe it's like not ready for my clients or I don't think like the work is stabilized enough like itself. You could already feel this like panic where it's like I'm already working nine to five in a in a role that's maybe similar to my creative practice but not actually because I'm a commercial I only have so much time like why am I meeting with you and it's like when you start feeling that constriction you know when you start to panic in the water you aren't making broad strokes to get somewhere you are trying to just stay where you are and like where you are isn't where you want to be and that's where you need to get to like these yes and no's fast like yes or no why not find out why figure out if there's a way for you to get to that yes yes great keep going figure out your asks with that person but we just don't learn that like key skill it's like we're super harsh in critiques at art school of like your work and any the people around you and there's like a really biting like feeling but people don't talk about like the importance for you to understand where you stand in all of those conversations and be really okay with like wherever that is and make a real concerted effort to move towards what you need to do without panicking.
0: This is where like, right. Like you get into conversations with your colleagues and your friends and stuff. So you can help have, get a base. Because when people come to you, I'm sure. I mean, obviously you just said, and people come to me and it's like, I don't know what you want. I don't know what you're doing and you can't explain it to me. And you're asking me to tell you what your opportunities are. You're asking me to tell you what your themes are. I can't do that for you. Um, If I could, my job would be a lot easier, (laughs) but I can't do that. If you're not ready, you need to know that you're ready. You're not ready yet before you come to the professional that you might turn off because we, you only have six to 10 studio visits a month. And then that's a bad taste in your mouth because that person didn't know how to talk to you about their art yet.
1: And it's yeah, and so like another Suzy Q. I like was in London. I like made this like hour long trip to some like random ass studio to see this girl's work because I really want to support her. And I'm like, this is pulling teeth. And I'm like, this like the fact that it is pulling teeth is in an indication that you feel to read the room that you're not ready to do this. And like if you're not ready to do this. I think we don't learn in art school about like, we're also super casual, right? So people come to your studio, like spend time, smoke a couple cigarettes, like have some fun. But it's like when someone comes, like you've got a specific ask. You're, you have specific work you want them to see. You want to be really organized in valuing their time and have an objective. And that is something definitely lacks in the art world it's just like most people just have no idea how to approach these things that may be open-ended and the people that you can I don't know maybe you feel like differently but I feel like the young people that are successful especially the ones where you're like the work is meh, but like somehow has been picked up they're always networkers they're always Always. people that people want to help
0: Always so much. You know, like, I see these people and I'm like, How is this person doing this? And I'm like, Because he's at every party, he's following up. I've gotten the emails where he's like, Hey, it's been three months. This is some new work that I've done, and it's easy. He literally makes it so easy for the collector, for the consultant, for the gallery to sell his work because it's always top of mind.
2: Yeah, and it's like and also know, part of your practice though. It is. Like, I think that's the thing. Like they don't teach you this in art school is that your practice isn't only physically sitting, making your practice an other side of the practice. And I think Susie Q needs to go and have an army of ghostbusters. Basically is what we're saying. Okay. Like they, they need these people who are able to go and explain or, I don't know, sound like fairy or whatever to go and explain to them. Like, I don't know what I'm trying to go and say to people like, can you help yeah. me before you actually go to somebody else? Because the thing is, is, you know, we've talked about this many times in the podcast is that um, people are going to come to you and then you're going to feel like your time is wasted and then you're not ready. And then you put the sour taste in someone else's mouth. But there's actually a lot of tools out there, but nobody knows where they are. Right. So what are you supposed to do? You know, but like the both of you are basically saying the same thing. You have the same experience, despite the fact that it, you're looking at a completely different groups of people, but still the exact same experience. So Susie Q needs SkillsBusters, basically.
0: Yeah. The same way that you and I have talked about and other people, you know, when we're talking about like, have someone check your work before you send your application, before you send your resume, right? Um, and it's the same way. Like, have your friend come in and talk to you about your artwork before you have like the big before you have a curator come in, before you talk to the gallerist, um, and also understand, I think that like it is a little bit what you were talking about earlier, Christina, about how, you know, not every gallery is for every artist. You know, they everybody has their own investigation and what their themes are. And that's also besides what that gallerist or those, you know, people are passionate about on their own, it also makes it easier for them to sell their stable of artists their roster as a group because if they have collectors who are interested in susie q then they're also probably going to be interested in john smith and they're also going to be interested in you know the next person because these are all people who are you know tangentially interested in these kind of themes um and that's the reason it's not because and this is where we need to learn a little bit too like it's not personal it's business like the gallery is a business you're as an artist is a business in this you know capitalist society of money for goods that like it's not because your art's crap necessarily it's just because it's not it doesn't fit like just because like a beautiful chanel suit is you know the nicest thing i've ever seen made in my life doesn't mean i'm gonna wear it and have that on my body because it's not my style it's not the things that i'm interested in portraying about myself and it's and it has nothing to do against Chanel. It literally has no impact on them as a business or their bottom yeah. line whatsoever. Right. I'm just not their clientele. And yeah. that's a good place to get to, to. Also, like if you have this meeting with a gallerist or whoever, and just because a meeting is bad in that you don't get a gallery, you don't get a sale, that doesn't mean that Christina is not gonna think later, that was a good meeting. I liked the person. I liked what they had to say. It just didn't fit with my clients now or any of my projects now, but in six months, a year, I don't know what's going to come.
2: But you still need to be
0: ready. You still need to be ready so she can remember you fondly.
1: Yeah. I think, like, all of the things that we're talking about are, you know, how I adjudicate individuals both as an, like, a venture investment as an artist. Like, it's the, the founder story. Like, How do you connect with a young artist that you feel like you're motivated to be part of that narrative is the same as an early stage venture. You're not investing in the solution, you're investing in the individual to be the right person to figure it out. It's the same thing with early artists. Like their work is going to take a path. Like, you know, it's most likely going to to mature in some kind of way, but you want to be part of that maturation or you don't, and it's like, what are you doing as an artist to encourage people to join that conversation? I think there are a lot of Suzy Q's that are like, this is the work I make, and this is why, and you should buy it, and that works, but it's like, what is that, that why? Is it open-ended enough that like, a new collector could engage on some level and have a little chip, where it's like chipped off, that they can get into that story. And I think a lot of artists make it so hard, so hard. I'm like, okay, like, this is not like going to be something you're making, you're making it difficult to be invited. And I understand that's like part of the art world, but it's a business. Like people need to understand your work and it shouldn't be that difficult.
0: Right. And if for some reason you're an artist who's doing an alternative method of financial like say you decide yes. that you want to have like a patreon and that's what's going to support you cool. again you have to think about your audience what do they want what are you producing for them how are you going to explain to them and how are you going to defend that you want to have them paying you five ten fifteen dollars a month for the content that totally. you're creating, the art that and
1: you're they feel like you're going somewhere like exactly. even the top patreon
0: illustrators like
1: You're going somewhere, you're receiving feedback, you're making work that has content that's dictated by your Patreon audience. Like you are engaging an audience that propels them to understand where the money is going in that particular case. And then with the more institutional or like maybe like historical ways of working in the art world, the person wants to participate. I want to introduce you to these four galleries that are better than my gallery to help you with that. Like, have you looked at this person's work? Like be inquisitive these people that will come and do studio visits aren't just there to buy your work or represent you. They can introduce you to people that could change your career. And that's way better than one $500, $2,000 painting sale. Like they could introduce you to someone that could 10 X all of those things. And also just be someone that you wish you'd known earlier and will know for the rest of your life.
0: That's also, I mean, it's, interesting too like to try to get collectors to know also because if you could sell yourself to me or to you and it's like this is an investment and it's a good one and then people are like oh and then they get excited um that's something where it's like well you know i don't know their stuff's so inexpensive right now maybe it's not a good thing and i'm like yeah but you buying this for two thousand dollars right now puts a thousand dollars in her pocket that's a thousand dollars she didn't have yesterday and then she can grow her practice but it's yeah. It's it's long. It's as so many people in the art world and collectors, galleries, even artists. It's very myopic. It's very short term. And I think as a venture now that you have explained it, to venture capitalists, you're like you're investing in the person for long term. This isn't about like a return in six months or a year. We're talking about five years, a decade.
1: Yeah, we do five. I do five to ten year terms yeah. on everything that I invest in. So actually, when I work with people, we sign a contract that. We unless there's like some kind of financial like deep like impact on the individual and they need to sell or they agree to hold the work for a minimum of five years. And I work with a lot of galleries that do that too. Like they have the right to buy it back from you first, like and all those kinds of things. And it's just because to be mindful of like I want them to see it as like a long term investment into an individual where they're gonna let that investment actually take root rather than just like. Get off of it really quickly. Like, we all know a Suzy Q. Oh, there's a very famous Suzy Q um collector in Vancouver who'd fallen out with an artist and then then proceeded to sell all the work on secondary at once. <gasps> Annihilated someone's career because they had purchased so much work. Oh my God. And it was like anytime you like the SEO on that, imagine just like typing in that person's name and it's just like the stuff is selling for thousands of a percent less because they just flooded and people were like, Well, I'll take one, but there's like fifty on me. <laughs> like, so it's just one of those things you have to be like, if you're in it to do this, you have to be very mindful of like where's your work going? Like how does this people do these people like treat your work as part of like those conversations. So it's like maybe not be advantageous for them to buy it, but it might be advantageous for you to know their network and find those buyers that are really there at your early career stages to to root you into something that's going to allow you to have that consistency with your your pricing that allows people to, to levitate from that.
2: It's so nice to hear that somebody who does venture capital, that you're not like an asshole. I mean, I know that you're not an asshole, but I think <laughs> that there's a rough sometimes that, there you, know, is. When, you know, like in your head, it's like, oh, venture oh. oh my God. They're all just assholes. And I,
0: like, no offense. I have some friends who are like very in on that on Twitter. So unfortunately my Twitter feed will get into the VC area sometimes. And some of the things I see are bonkers where it's like, if you're not you know, utilizing your life and optimizing your eight hours of sleep and your fitness every day and your five to good friends, then I don't want to invest in your business. I'm like, it doesn't sound like you have five friends, buddy. You're real mean. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think
1: like, I think you can take some of the, the kind of like, things that you see around venture capital. So venture capital's obviously like everyone's like, oh so cool. Like, you know, a lot of young people think like, oh, like you can make a lot of money, people become really famous and people talk about that kind of stuff in there. But one of the things I can tell artists is like I think at the front of the grind house are entrepreneurs. Like they every part of their life is exposed to these people and these people want to know everything. And these people are like the new nouveau riche slash like have a ton of money to burn and they expect a level of access to the things that they invest in. And she's right. I mean she's like saying like they like if they want you to see you look and appear a certain way to invest in them. Um and and to some similar extent like the same thing with art. And that's why some of like the world's most trash artists are huge because they're willing to party and like provide that same narrative to them. Cause they're like, great. I love that. Like, you know, it, it falls into that box. And so I feel like one of the pervasive things about venture capital is that people look at deals like that. Like I have access to your whole story. Like I should know everything about this. You know, it's, it's unhealthy. Um. But it's also like the top of the of the decision making chart in the world in some ways. In the sense that, like, I do believe if we can get more people who are more mindful involved with the decision making and the deployment of capital, we can change industries, and we can fund different things that have better mechanisms for change and stability. So it's like it's like a catch twenty two where you're like, you know, I. I can that exactly what she's talking about every day. Um, but it's, it's one of those things that if we don't get in front of it, what they're investing in now is going to rule our world in 10 years, for sure. Like all of those areas, all those theses that like those venture capitalists have, they're going to be determining how we operate as people. We should have a lot of people in front of that. They have more money than most governments do to spend on stuff and to invest in stuff, and they own it. Um, that is one of the scariest things about that space.
0: And that's, I mean, that's in, I feel like this is the diversity conversation for like all industries, including art, where it's like, if you have just the same, I'll say it, you know, 65 and over white dudes making the choices of who's coming into the art world and who's going to be out there, then this is the art we're going to be seeing in museums and in shows and collaborating with our brands and in our public spaces for the next 50 years. And that's, not how it should be. So the more people who can get in, but also I hate to say like, you know, I'm, I'm so uh, glass half empty in terms of like my pessimism of like how much we can change the, you know, this myth. But I also like get really optimistic because I see people changing it that I thought things that could never change. I'm finding, you know, boards of museums are changing because people are demanding it. I think it's amazing. But also there is a, some within of like, operating within the given system as best you can and then you can kind of change it within i mean these are people who are protesting within our systems of our social media and in public which is in you know our general society you're protesting you're using that system to make your change same thing is if you use your studio visits wisely and you make those kind of networking things wisely and you get to these galleries and you can have some say i mean there's some artists now who are in some good galleries who are making demands of who can and can't buy their art uh because it's where they want their places to be and that's really exciting so there can be change. so my glass is simultaneously half full and half empty yeah like a glass is (laughs) we we are
1: like responsible in a way to teach these people in various forms to change their minds I believe that. I believe art is, art has such a fundamental, it has had such an important way of creating a vehicle for social change and perspectives on social change that no other medium is able to do, there's no way. And it now more than ever with the divide, both like just like globally, but also just like here in the US, art is so important for people to be able to come to something And to see multiple perspectives without it being finitely cnn or you know fox news um and those are the things i think artists need to really grapple with right now is how can i communicate what my work is about and encourage a conversation because people want to invest in those things now like that is something i think a lot of young collectors are looking at and if i was investing money if i had five or $5,000, I would be investing in how I communicate online about my work and how I create a process for myself to, to encourage conversation after a meeting with anyone that comes in contact with me.
0: But this is really good because you're talking about investing in your practice in practical ways of how you're presenting yourself, your website, your social media, and then like re-engagement of the people who are coming in to follow up with people who are interested in a productive way. That's awesome. Have an ask. Always have an ask. Have an ask. So it's like have a
1: like ask the thing up front. Be like would you be interested in if you're looking at them to like representing my work? If so, great. Great. If, if not, why not? And like what are some work I should be looking at? What are some things that you're thinking about as an a gallery operator, as an advisor in this space um, that you think would be interesting for me? Like really pulling out from someone. Like use them they're using you I'm using you I'm coming to your gallery your 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 space to like take a look at something take my time and be like tell me something that I don't know like introduce me to someone that I don't know and and make your digital footprint something so interesting I'm like great this person works in these spaces is interested in this and has done this type of work recently and you know I can understand that very easily from looking at your, your digital footprint.
0: This is the thing is making it easy for you, like the artist, make it as easy for you, the consultant Christina, to say yes, to say yes to the ask of, I do know who to introduce you to. I do know what gallery yeah. I wanna push you in. I do know, you know, or I do yeah. see where you're going in six months that I'm gonna to touch yeah. back once you're done yeah.
2: with
0: whatever your next I process is.
2: Yeah. Follow up. That's a big thing. But I think also it's just that we never never think that it's okay to say, I don't know, can you help me? Like even if somebody, I think sometimes in our brains we think, yes, we got someone to come to the studio. Yes. And then like you've put all the energy in that and then it's just like, full stop. You don't know what to do after that. And so for someone to actually say, well, if you aren't clear on your messaging and you don't have your ask, at least rephrase it and reframe it to go and ask and figure out what it is that you need from the other person, um, mm-hmm. which also I think takes a bit of practice as well. But that is also yeah. part of your practice. You know, like, again, your practice can't just be sitting in the corner and making knots <clears throat> me. Yeah. Well, so, yeah, but you, you cannot you do be doing it by yourself. No, like if no. You, if you have a
1: practice that is just your own, then, in my opinion, my opinion, then how is it not a hobby? If nobody knows about, no one talks about it, it becomes a practice when it's like it's it's steeped in something and it's engaging with something to have momentum and it's. I see a lot of artists that do that, or it's just like you are so worried about the panic. So I'm just gonna stay in this one spot. <laughs> Not gonna engage with anyone. My work is great, but it would be really great if I just did something else. And I alone, just having a conversation and buying your work, isn't gonna jumpstart jump start that car for you. Like it has to be you. Like even if I wanted to be that person, I'm sure everyone here has I uh, maybe purchased a work from someone. You're like, I really want you to like explore this more deeply. And you're like, after the fact, you're like, man, I'm the only person that actually committed to that. And now that's probably not going anywhere because you're not going anywhere with it. Like you're not putting yourself out there. Like artists are the first line of defense, but also like movement forward for themselves. Like it cannot be me. People come to me all the time being like, will you be my agent? I'm like, no like oh
0: my god yes i know like, i don't know what do you
1: the two of you I'll say the same thing to me also the time. Like, that is not a thing no. it should not be a thing i'm like it's you should know no like great like that is not where you want to start your career out like that's like no someone's not going to solve all your problems and find like a product market fit and a value for your work by making up the story for you like you don't want that like there are many bad suey cq artists there- that are bought by VCs that do that. And you're like, like they're just not going to laugh.
0: No. And there are dealers who will do that. There are consultants out there who will sell your work and they'll make your narrative and guess in and term, that's not going to be a fit because it's not your narrative. And yeah, you also gonna, like, get you. like
2: 20% of your sales, the yeah, end. I'm sure. Yeah. Oh, for sure. So um, basically what you guys are saying is Susie Q wants to get into okay. the art world. And you think that it's a very linear line, except that it's not. So what happens is Susie Q potentially is approaching a dealer, a collector, somebody. Panic hits. And so Susie, who's trying to go straight, probably needs to go sideways. So panic hits and needs to go find some Ghostbusters before they go and actually talk to the curator, collector, whoever, which potentially could lead you to something else. But it's never the direct route that actually gets you it's never an a to b thing it's like an a and then it's like A point one, if you're lucky
1: yeah i call it the and then theory which is like the theory is most artists and and it's usually just actually artists founders know this now they're just like do you want to buy this work no okay bye i'm like you don't you don't buy this work okay and then where are we going with this? Like, where is this going after that? They just make cul-de-sacs out of relationships, which is like, if I don't buy your work today, like, you're just never going to email me again. I'm like, okay. Like, that's a bizarre thing
2: to do. And like, you know this. Guys, feelings are hurt. Hi. It's okay to hurt feelings. Yeah. Yeah. But it's
1: also okay to like demand, like, why not? And like, who can you introduce me to? And, you know, like, and and find something like one thing that founders do really well that artists do not do well is create the network behind the venture. And the venture is you, you are your own venture artists are venture or just a little ventures, like startups. And who are the advisors behind that startup? Like who are the people that like want this to succeed? Like who are the people that can introduce you to validate your practice and help you shape that practice? It's like a lot of these artists just like have a bunch of friends and it's like, Find a couple of people who are deeply committed to an area you're trying to solve or work through and get them involved. Conversations like instructions, things like that. It's just like, stop having cul-de-sacs. So people just do that all the time. They're like, oh, you don't want to use me for this one particular site. Okay. I'll like never email you again. I'm like, that's a terrible idea. It's
0: a terrible idea. And that's why those people that we were talking about earlier, those mediocre the people, the assholes, yeah. They get further because they, like, literally, it's not their work. And it's just, it's their persistence. But it's like,
1: hey, Alexis, like, yeah. how's it going? Like, how's I just to, like, like, talk to you about this new work that I did. I saw you at such and such, and, like, and I reminded me, and you're like, Ugh. you you it on. Someone buys it because.
0: Exactly.
1: This is always around, and it's very friendly, and it's kind of in your face in a way, but it's, like, it's in your face because we get hit with awful things.
0: And yeah, we get, you get, you get 50 offers a day and then you never hear from 49 of them again, but you hear from that one again in three months. All right. And then you hear, you know, after three or four pool. times. and he's Back in the pool. He's and like, back he'll, the pool. he's
1: going he's gonna to get a hit at some point. It's at always point. a dude.
0: It's always, always, a, dude. A, always, always a dude. Always a dude. Always a dude. I wonder, honestly, after this, I'm going to ask you if we're thinking about the same person. I mean, there's so many, but there's one in there's particular. There's several. Um, but the... Uh, that's so funny but it is but that's the thing is you keep putting yourself back into the pool of consideration because if you take yourself out of the pool you will not be considered
2: yeah people I know, never but if I mean, yeah but guys I'm sorry but like as an artist I'm sure that like the feeling of the panic it's like you're just treading water so the panic For is. Sure. You're, so what so what but are that's you because do you do you came to this and I think
1: that's what we're trying to say both of us are like don't come to a meeting with one ask
2: yeah. Have a meeting
1: with four. And the first one might be wrong, no, but like, I definitely won't walk away saying no to all of them unless you're a complete dick. Right. And I literally've only done that once. Like, yeah. I will introduce you to other people. Like, I will encourage you to look at X, Y, and Z. I will open my Rolodex for that. But you don't ask. And so it's like what's not literally offer? pulling teeth. You're like, okay, so I don't like anything in the studio right now. It doesn't mean I don't like your work. I just don't like what's available. Like, what are we going to do from this point? And why is it on me? I think like, everything else is already on me. I'm the one that's bringing you people to buy these things. What are you doing to help me understand the development of your practice? Nothing.
0: And this is the thing you can do ahead of time. You can literally come up with four questions that you ask yes, every exactly. single person. Just have them on your, on your wall behind the thing and be like, okay, do you want to buy anything? No. Who are you liking yeah. right now? Great. Can you introduce me to somebody? Great. Can I have you to come back in six months? Great. Like, those are your four asks. You can ask everybody. And that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. And the then you more get a yes. I, that
1: someone you. Yeah. Like, the more I meet you, like, the more I remember you, the more I like you, the more I know, like, you're really dedicated. All these things matter because it's like our reputations go on the line when we're like, you should purchase this thing. It's like, I met this check Erin once let's say CVQ once and she never followed up on this and like you know like I kind of liked her work but I have no idea what she's doing now and clearly she didn't like me enough to like let me know what she's doing now either so it's just kind of like yeah maybe I will like force myself down that road to figure out like what it is or maybe I won't and like just you can cover that base as an artist and it's it's labor intensive and I get it. It's an emotional grind, but if you have four asks ahead of time, you'll feel better knowing that like, yeah, she didn't buy something, but she gave me these other three things.
0: Exactly. And then this goes for like, not just like artists, like also like you're selling stuff, guys. Like if you're a gallerist or if you're a consultant, like it's not just one no, like I can't tell you. I mean, I'm sure because you know the same thing. There's so many no's. I mean, the amount of work that I send out to my collectors and the amount of purchases I get, it's it's like less than 0.5% probably in terms of like actual like individual artworks that they see and then the pieces that they purchase. And it's not personal that they didn't like my favorite 150 pieces that I sent them this year, but I keep going and that's how I keep making the sales because I keep offering them things. I mean, there are galleries that I've bought from. In the last couple of years. And I haven't. I, it's pulling teeth trying to get them to send me more things from their programs. And I'm just like, how am I supposed to sell your art if you don't send it to me? It's yeah. the same thing. I mean, that
1: may be something for another
0: conversation. Because I actually don't operate like that as a consultant anymore. Oh, nice. Oh, I love it. Well, I, I primarily in my practice, it's, it's emerging and mid-career artists. So I'm like out there like looking for things to try to build the mm. collections from like I have a couple who are like, these are the things that I want. And like those kinds of investments.
1: Yeah. I honestly, I think like, even for like another podcast, I think like, those are the hundred percent, the most interesting clients that I personally have never had clients like that. (gasps) Yeah. And I like, I think every consultant, like depends on like where you come from and like how you get into this. It's like such a hard business to be a consultant for that. All of my clients have been male except one. Um, And she got divorced, so she's no longer a client of mine. Um, Yeah, and they've all been people that just, like, came into capital that primarily, like, didn't grow with, like, an art-collecting history for parents, like, from parents to child. So it's been a lot more of, like you have no idea what this space is and like basically proving like debunking myths, you know, for sure. and I feel the same for artists. I think artists that, that come, we all know this, like artists that come from like star artist families, plus like, or even just like well-regarded artists, like having kids that become artists have a very different con- understanding of like the myths associated with creating a practice and like how it's going to operate. Whereas, you know, people who are just go to art school and their parents are like, what are you doing, Erica? Me? <laughs> um, there's like no place I make notes in the
2: corner, obviously.
1: Whereas like one of these young artists that I actually picked up in the UK um, and I bought her work, like, without even seeing it, really. Uh, I saw like a couple of pieces and I just picked something. Um, I actually bought it cause like I knew it would be a great financial investment because her, her, I think her mother or father was like a quite prolific artist in the UK. And like, if you look at the statistics, it's like, if you don't have a blue chip show in your first nine show, shows, or if your parent wasn't like a, like a collected artist, you're like, Meh. <laughs> so you can like, you can time some of the market like that yourself. Um, if you're looking for good multiples on work but it's like it's very disheartening for the general artistic community to know that but it's the same in like venture capital and and founder stories the success rate's the same if you have those like upper hands, those are the same and so it's like just be really aware of those things and be really aware of like where does that place you and and I think the other thing that artists don't do is walk back stories from people that they see in positions where they wish they were I'm like What is the walk-back story on that? Like, How did RSX get to where you want to be? Like, Do you know that gestation? Do you know the residencies that that person took? Do you know the path that they took to becoming an institutionally collected artist? Most people don't. Like most people don't even understand how those steps were made for people that they look up to really. And, and so it's like those are all empowering things you can do if you need to do them from the siloed home individually on your own. It's like be really aware of the industry that you live in and how those metrics work for and against you. Absolutely. Like and the big thing that I learned in life is nothing happens unless you tell other people you want it to happen. So until you start doing studio visits and you start telling people that you like, really want to do a show with whoever no one's going to know that. Like, no one's going to make those connections for you. Like, artists are so secretive about, like, what they, like, truly wish their work would, like, become or, like, be, be, like, seen as. If you do not share those ideas, they do not live in the real world and they will never happen. And honestly, the crazy thing I've learned as a consultant is, like, there's some star artists that I'm working with on some different types of, like, commission work that you know they will not make the parallel or even like have the idea to work with some younger artists on some kind of collaboration until you're like here you should do this like if people don't know your thoughts on something they will not read your mind and it took me a good seven years in this business to stop doing that because I would be like you should really think about doing that but I won't verbally say that to you like just lay it out there as an artist like lay it out there say what you want to do may sound crazy, but those assholes that are making it happen, they do it all the time.
0: All the time.
2: All the time. And on that note, with the assholes and laying it out there and stars aligning, so Christina, what are you reading, watching, listening to the sweet question? I,
1: I'm glad to see, well, I'm glad to see that social media is still being used to really call out some things that continue to bother me, like, beyond the artist struggle, the struggle of arts institutions, like the tape, um, and workers' rights, the cultural industry is not an industry that you can basically live well in, unless you're on the very top, it's very futile. Um, and the more that we can use the momentum where people are looking at different industries and understanding the injustices around that the more we can shed light into the things that people we've created structures where people take them for granted like we all know here like on this call of looking at like job postings for curatorial work or museum work where it's like thirty thousand dollars a year and these people don't get like wage subsidies like there's London waiting at the Tate I'm like literally every person that works there that's able to work there without having a second job just came from money
0: oh yeah and you can't have a PhD and know three languages and take a $30,000 a year job if you don't have somebody else paying your student loans or you never have to pay them in the first place
1: exactly and I think demystifying some of these aspects where people always akin and it annoys me the idea that We gave the music industry the flu and created a premium model where artists could make money, where people didn't have to purchase the work. That does not work the same in the art world, okay? Like, we just, like, the art world is not, like, the music world can't give the art world the flu and, like, solve all the problems. Fundamentally, I think we need to value creative individuals and their work, and we need to be able to put our money behind it and say, like, that is valuable, and so buying work, you know, compensating people for their time and not participating in institutions, whether that be going to their shows or donating to them, that continue to basically drive a slavery system is something that I think people need to be really aware of. Like, these are great name brand institutions that treat people like garbage. Like, whether that be the people that are just like, you know, like security people or the people that work in the food hall. Like these institutions have been running a feudal system that we all need to start like continually calling out. And I personally have made a much deeper effort to to encourage my collectors and myself to look at your philanthropic practice and your involvement. So many young artists are willing to get involved like to, like charity, like auction or whatever. To support these nonprofit institutions that are creating an empire, um, and you just look at the top wages of all of those institutions that we're talking about. So that is what keeps me up at night, especially right now, that you know people are losing 300, 500 people are losing their jobs during the pandemic. It's going to get worse. They're not going to keep those people on staff. Um, what can we do to really start valuing? And supporting cultural communities. And for me, that's been like loaning artists money. Uh, if, I, if it's not about work, it's just like they can't get paid quick enough during the payment schedule through a client, like on a commission or something. Um, and, and really continuing to expose the people at the top who are asking for those big dollars. Those philanthropists often think that the money is like being the first And it's on them for not like actually looking into it. But they, they just really need to be called out on the fact that it's like, it's, I I knew another Susie Q who couldn't get a medical coverage for their family, but their boss had it. How is that possible? Like in an institution in 2020 or even in 2015 when that was happening?
0: yeah
2: you no know,
0: these places are when people you know and they keep asking for money and there's from their donors and things and no one's people are giving it to them but the the mismanagement's not always acknowledged at the top So i guess they're not also on so- social media where we see the people being like i was like oh this is what happened i make 12 dollars an hour sometimes
1: <laughs> yeah i get no overtime i I'm like, this person's supposed to be a curatorial assistant, you know, like, those who are looking at your work as artists, like, and they are being run like slaves, like, they don't have time to be creative and see where an emerging artist show could fit into like, the, like, year schedule. They're someone's PA on top of, like, the actual curatorial work that they have to do. We have to change that.
2: Agreed.
0: Agreed. So, Christina, where can our lovely listeners, all of them are lovely, where can they find you on the interwebs if they were to so choose?
1: I'm actually, like, not on the internet at all anymore, and, like, part of the reason is, is just, like, I used to have a website and everything, and then people used to submit their work all the time, and I just, like, I'm one of those people that feels absolutely terrible if I don't respond to everyone, so I've actually, like, taken a big, step backwards but you can you can message me on instagram which i don't post on anymore also because of the inundation of stuff and i'm happy to to chat as much as i can but always if anyone is going to send me a message and you guys can share it out through that on there make sure you are really clear about your app like if you need something for me just tell me what that thank is thank
0: you yes we've been trying to and tell i people am happy we- <laughs>
1: to facilitate what I can. And if I can't, I will definitely probably let you know. Um, because it's just too fundamentally hard to just like have a, Hey, how are you conversation? I will literally ask you have we have met before. And what can I do for you? Because <laughs> you're but, Yeah.
0: No, that's yeah. so true yeah. though, because people, we've been trying to tell people, like when you're at, when you're reaching out to someone who's busy, Make it as easy for them as possible to say yes or answer your question. Because if you just reach out to her, she doesn't know why you're reaching out to her unless you tell her. So guys, use this information responsibly. Uh,
1: I always go for a silver bullet is what I say. It's like people, they say people respond to cold emails that are like less than six sentences. I'm like, so you got to get straight to the point. It's very respectful.
0: Yes. Uh, so I will include your info in the blurb, and thank you so much.
2: Thank amazing. you.
0: Thank you. Anything for Erica.
2: That's very true. Bye. Bye, guys. Bye.